Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. I was listening to an old Linux Luddites episode the other day, and we were talking about convergence, the idea of using one device as a phone and being able to plug that into a screen and peripherals and use that as your main computer. And it got me wondering, whatever happened to convergence? <laughs> that seems to have just gone away. And why? Why did convergence never happen? So the dream for a lot of people is still happening. There are still people working on projects to do that. But they obviously never saw a lot of commercial success. I think the big reason is that to make a commercial convergent platform, one where the same software runs on a phone screen or a laptop screen or your TV or whatever, whatever different sizes or shapes of devices you have, is one, very expensive to make all of that software, and two, you sell fewer devices if you make that software. I think that's kind of the big thing is that Apple wants to sell you the iPhone and the iPad and the Mac, whereas if it was all convergent, if it was all the exact same software and looked the same everywhere, you might not need all of those. That's no good. Well, it's not about having the exact same software that looks the same everywhere. It's about having one device that can adapt. And so it knows that it's showing you stuff on a phone screen or it's plugged into a huge screen. And so then it adapts and shows you it in a different way. But you're right that there's a reason that Apple will sell you an M1 or M2 probably iPad as well as an M1 or M2 laptop that could just be running the same software, but it's not because they want to sell you twice the devices. This ideal has come up again and again. When I was much younger, my, my friend got a Motorola Atrix 4G phone imported from the States because you couldn't get them in the UK with the dockable laptop that you could use with it, which was sold on the convergence. It was carry this in your bag. There's a screen. You plug the phone into the laptop thing and your phone then switches into a laptop type mode. We tried it. It was a bit shit. Motorola <laughs> lost interest in it very quickly. There wasn't much uptake of the devices. And then they were repurposed. I think you can get a Raspberry Pi connected to it. Lots of people did sort of stuff like that because it is quite nice to have a large battery screen that you can dock up to various different devices. But whether it's the demand that's not there or whether it's pushing through the final project because you see you see these proof of concept videos that go back years where people are like oh, i'm watching this on my tablet and then with two fingers i just swipe it towards the television and whatever i was doing just appears there and then i whip a bluetooth keyboard out of my back pocket and i'm using it like an office and then my phone goes off and all of this stuff which seems like some kind of minority report dream it's just never happened well isn't the elephant in the room here samsung because they've been shipping decks on all of their flagship phones for years and years now. And it has gotten better and better. And there are third parties like NextDock who make a laptop dock that you can plug your phone into with a USB-C cable. And there is still among the Samsung fan base quite you know a lot of talk about it. And people do seem to really enjoy it. But from what I've seen, it's just never quite gotten there as something that mainstream people would use. And maybe that's part of the problem as well, is that it's just people like us that use it because your average person isn't going to go and buy a flagship Samsung phone and the dock and everything else to use with it. But equally, 
I definitely have seen people that I know using DEX and plugging it into one of the monitors that's got the USB-C dock built in at work and accessing a VDI through it and stuff like that. And likewise, I suppose that, you know, I've seen people using those new M1 iPads for VDI as well because they can do multi-screen stuff a little bit more than old ones could now. But all the same, is it just for commercial purposes that the apps aren't there? I mean, Word on Android is not Word on Windows. Yeah, I think that's at least part of the problem. For commercial stuff, I'm never going to have the VPN set up on my phone for corporate stuff, right? So I'm not going to be able to access half the corporate resources. I'm never going to have full fat office or that kind of stuff on there. It's still a little bit awkward if I plug it into a monitor and I've got to do a video call. What do I do then? Do I hold the phone in my hand and use the front-facing camera? <laughs> well, Apple has completely fixed that problem because now you have people docking their phone to the back of their laptop so that they can use the better camera. I don't know. Do people really do that? I can't imagine. I know at least one. <laughs> really? <laughs> Maybe that's actually where convergence has landed, is it's not necessarily the convergence of the software and you're plugging your phone into a monitor and getting you know, Linux or Debian running or whatever it is. Maybe it is the fact that these devices have converged on kind of a services level where, like you say, Dalton, you can use your phone as a microphone or a camera, or you can copy and paste from your phone to your laptop or resume a browser session between devices. And I've got to admit, I still don't do any of that stuff and actively disable it on every machine I own. <laughs> but maybe that is where this is going. It's not so much one device to rule them all, but one way of working across all of the devices. One ecosystem for everything. <sighs> yeah, the answer is the cloud, because all your data is in the cloud. You can access it from any machine. My Gmail, I can get on any device that I want. You can resume progress on youtube as long as you sign into the same account on various devices i think that is ultimately why convergence was never needed the problem was solved in a totally different way rather than having everything centralized in one device it's centralized in one account and that account is accessible on all your devices that's certainly how google market it if you look at the latest adverts on television for the Pixel phone and for Chromebooks, one of the big things they try and forefront is I just sign in and everything's there. One thing I would say though is I'm not sure until the M1 chip that we have been at a point where previously it's always been, I feel like I'm on a device with a different architecture and it's just a different thing. I think now is the first time that you can get, and they are expensive, but you can get a tablet form factor with the same power as your laptop. And it is, I think Dalton hit the nail on the head at the beginning. Now I think Apple would be making a conscious choice because you can actually fit the processing power and battery life into both form factors. And you could feasibly pull it all together. They're just not going to do that because they're the only company in the position probably to do it well. And they know that they're just going to keep selling two devices instead of one if they keep the status quo. It prints money. We do have convergence in the open source world. There are plenty of Linux distros that will run on phones or tablets that will then give you a desktop experience when plugged into a screen and peripherals. But then you run into the ARM problem, generally, that those distros are never quite 
fully working because it's a nightmare to get them working on that hardware. And even if they do work well, that hardware is generally pretty underpowered. Well, and not only that, but if you were to run software that's designed for the desktop exclusively on the small form factor, it doesn't really work right. Convergence was never about GIMP on the iPhone, and we've already talked about that. It was about GIMP having an interface that works on the iPhone, and also having one that works on the desktop that it can switch between. Well, to be fair to GNOME, a lot of their applications are quite scalable these days. I think you're right, Jay. The last time I tested Fosh and GNOME on a mobile phone, I was able to install multiple flat packs of GNOME apps that hadn't necessarily been massively overhauled. They literally just detected, a bit like a responsive website would, that the screen had changed size and they were eminently usable once we'd moved down to that. And that's, I'm not really a huge fan of GNOME, but the one thing that really impresses me is that out of everything that I tried switching between those different paradigms, it's the most tied together in FOSS that I've experienced. And it's difficult because I think you're right, Dalton, that is exactly what it's about. And it's whether or not anyone is going to put in and be supported financially and with manpower as well, let's be honest, all of that effort that will be required to tie that together, because I think it could be done, but is there enough of a demand for it? And therefore, is anyone going to actually really go for it and try and make it happen? I'm not so sure. I don't know. I still, and I think I mentioned it in our group chat a few weeks ago, I still yearn for a device that does this. I travel a lot. I'm either at a customer site or I'm at a desk and I just want to not have to lug a laptop around. (laughs) And if I could just plug my phone into a projector and give a presentation or plug my phone into a monitor and connect to a remote desktop or something and do my work, it'd be great. But like you say, I just don't think that we're quite there with all of the other pieces fitting together. I think part of that is the lack of demand, though, because even if you want to go totally open source and totally self-hosted on this stuff, you can have something of a continuous experience across different devices with things like Nextcloud, for example. You can have all your calendar stuff sync across multiple devices. You can have Firefox sync across multiple devices. And I think much like in the proprietary space, there just isn't enough demand because to some extent, convergence was a solution in search of a problem. Although, Gary, you've kind of proved me wrong on that point by saying that you would love to carry just one powerful phone that could do it all. But I just don't think people really want that, do they? I think I'm in a massive minority when it comes to that. (laughs) I don't think I would want a phone that does that. But if I could have a slim form factor tablet with a detachable keyboard, with a long battery life, no fans, and plenty of grunt, that I could, once I connect up with you know a magnetically connected keyboard, it feels exactly like any laptop I've ever used, and I never think this isn't a laptop. Microsoft Surface. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to fry my thighs off, Dalton. And then on the other side of it, to turn that into a tablet, and then use that and feel exactly like I have when I've used and enjoyed using an iPad or a well-designed Android tablet. And even when I've bought like two-in-one devices, I they just fail at the other thing always. And if anyone ever nailed that, I feel like I would like to be able to carry that in my bag so that I could have both of them without having to carry both of them. 
Okay, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Looking to eat well this summer? HelloFresh's menu features calorie-smart and protein-smart lunch and dinner options, plus new vegan dinners to choose from. HelloFresh makes it easy to reach your food goals with flavorful recipes that leave you feeling satisfied. Did you know HelloFresh offers more than just delicious dinners? It's now easier than ever to skip that extra grocery store run by adding snacks, sides and more to your weekly order. Simply shop HelloFresh Market and take your pick from a curated selection of over 100 items. Dalton tried HelloFresh and said having all the ingredients together and correctly portioned is super convenient and the great meal selection made it tons of fun to try out new ingredients and techniques. So support the show and go to hellofresh.com slash linuxafterdark50 and use code linuxafterdark50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash linuxafterdark50 and code linuxafterdark50 for 50% off plus free shipping. There's been a couple of big public blow-ups in open source projects recently. We're not going to talk about them specifically, but that did get us talking about whether it's a good idea for devs to be the public face of projects. And it got me thinking about whether or not a lot of these conversations should happen via back channels rather than in public. And, And maybe FOSS is sometimes a bit too open when it comes to communication. And so I suppose the summary of that is how do we have less drama in the open source world? I feel like it's kind of a horse apiece in that case. The problem is when you start to close off communication channels and when decisions about the project or its people start getting made behind closed doors, community members start to get upset. And maybe not all of them, and maybe not ones that you even want to keep around, but there is certainly a large group of people that will complain if, say, someone gets removed from a project without there being public discourse about why, or if a feature gets removed or one gets introduced or something. All the same, it's very difficult on that hand to have closed conversations. And in fact, a lot of my time spent heading up the UbiPorts Foundation and the Ubuntu Touch project was spent trying to get communications from the regular team of full-time and volunteer people out to people who wanted to know about that information. The unfortunate thing that happens then is that if someone kind of jumps the gun and starts announcing things early or before anyone's really decided whether there should be a feature or not, you can end up with people trying to gotcha you in the future like, hey, you said you were going to do this. It's like, yeah, and we didn't. So (laughs) maybe I've just had a very bad experience with community members. I feel like I had one of the most friendly communities in the world, and it's still... People have drama when they congregate, right? Yeah, I think it's just an inherent human thing, isn't it? I think it's very difficult with the trajectory that often happens with open source projects as well, because the inception of them is often very small. Sometimes it's just one person on their own that has a problem that they haven't seen solved, and they decide to solve it in a transparent way. They have a public repository of their code, it becomes popular, so more people start chipping in, and the machine starts to roll on. And quite often, there's not very many checkpoints along the way where you think, wow, this is an enormous amount of growth. I can't run the Twitter account and be looking at GitHub issues and be pushing commits, making sure that the infrastructure is up and running and all of that stuff. But it tends to, I think, happen organically, automatically, 
And it can be difficult to take a step back and have those recovery checkpoints along the way to work out what you need at each individual time. And I always find it sad and a bit difficult when someone is firing off on Twitter all day, but also responsible for all the code. And I mean, for some people, it's Twitter, Y Combinator, Reddit, Mastodon, and they're also doing the bulk of the code. I look at some people and think, how are you sleeping? And no wonder then things go really wrong after a certain amount of time, because it's just a perfect storm for burning out. And you're putting these things on fully public platforms. And you might not, if you'd had just a couple of days off and some sleep, have phrased something in a certain way or even chosen to comment on something. And I, I feel like that is unfortunate and difficult sometimes. Having been someone who has created a storm in a teacup like that, yes, a couple of days off and some sleep would have solved the problem. And this is why I think you have things like a DevRel or a developer advocate, because sometimes you need different angles and different voices to ensure that that happens. But it doesn't always get structured like that because of everything I just said. You, you, you are suddenly a massive project that everyone's relying on. It, back to SKCD, always that, that one open source project propping up the entire Jenga stack of everything else. It happens so often. Well, yeah, and devs generally are not going to be the best PR people, are they? And I'm not saying that you need to be a, a PR expert or whatever, but some people are just naturally better at diplomacy and not necessarily spinning things, but uh, putting positive spins. Well, yeah, <laughs> spinning things. And, you know, dealing with people and, you know, having people management skills, that is a very different skill set potentially from being a good developer. Yeah, and I think that's where we have a real problem in the open source community, where someone does try and wear all of those hats. And I think for a certain period of time, you have to, to get the project bootstrapped and off the ground and everything else. But you're right, Jay, I am absolutely not the right kind of person who should be managing people. I'm also probably not the person you want as the public face of your company, because I'm far too blunt for it, if I'm honest. <laughs> And at the same time, in my day job, yeah, I don't work in open source, but I deliberately don't put myself in situations where I'm the public face of something or where I'm managing people. I might do some mentorship on the side or something like that, but I'm certainly not putting myself out there as the public face of some program or the public face of some project that's going on. And quite often that's to my detriment because it means I'm much less likely to get a promotion because I'm not the person shouting the loudest saying I've done something. But I think overall, it's probably better for those projects. But you have to get to the size where you've got five, six people on the team and one of them can look after social media and developer relations and the rest of it before you get there. It's a temptation as you grow to spend money on more developers and more infrastructure and not consider hiring someone who is good at this sort of thing. Is that one of the problems with open source maybe? I don't think it's a temptation. I think it's more of a necessity. In a lot of cases, things are falling over and the investment is being used to keep it from going away entirely. Yeah, and I think it's also a problem across the entire industry. I mean, there are some pretty sizable companies that are only now starting to look for a DevRel person. And that is a real issue because as much as developers will best endeavors, you know, look after everything, that can really only go so far. 
I think it's also quite difficult when something springs up with a sense of collectivism. That is often a difficult ship to sail, where a project starts with one person, maybe two, three, join. You don't feel like you need to have a conversation about hierarchy or whether you even want hierarchy. But in my experience, where people have tried to have a totally flat hierarchy where there's no responsibility or devolved responsibility for certain elements, getting everyone to paddle in the same direction and be happy can often be difficult. And you can often get a pattern where people start to break away and so momentum is never never gathered. And I think it is really challenging, but sometimes for some duties, you need to be able to say, I need to deal with this, so I'm not going to deal with that. And I need a person to deal with that. And it's really hard to do, especially if it's been your baby since the inception of that. You're talking about herding cats, aren't you? (laughs) That's what this boils down to. It's very hard to herd cats. It's very hard to manage people. It's not something that everyone's good at. And I think the difficulty is also having the breathing space, the humility, whatever you want to call it, however you want to take an angle on it to allow that to happen as well. And I, I, I do worry sometimes. I think Popey has a nice phrase for it. There is sometimes a bit of a culture of the brilliant asshole, <laughs> and I don't like it. I really don't like it. And it doesn't really matter whether it's the coding or, or something else. And it, it, it happens outside of this direct context we're talking about. Being brilliant at something doesn't mean you can be a prick. And quite often, people just assume that they're allowed to behave that way. And it's praised, you know. I just don't like that culture. And I see it more often than I would like. And ultimately, I think a lot of this could be fixed if people just stop tweeting all the time and posting on Mastodon, whatever it is, whatever the social media platform. Just stop posting all the time. I think that might open up a larger discussion of whether or not humanity was actually ready for global social media, but we'll save that for another time. (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later.